Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. I'm going to do my darndest not to sound depressed while recording. I'm not actually depressed. It's just rainy as fuck. And if you don't know me, uh, <laughs> I live in Phoenix and it's sunny all the time. And usually I'm angry about it being hot. But if it rains for one to three days, I start considering electroshock treatment. I just like, I recognize that rain is supposed to happen. Every place needs rain. It's good for stuff and things, but boy, does it bum me out. Like, hey, hey, Phoenix, can you just like wait till I'm out of town to rain? Like, when I'm out of town, rain all you want. But I honestly can't believe that people live places where it rains all the time um, because uh, it's real depressing. And um, dog doesn't like it. He's also just, he's a scrawny little thing. He's got no meat on him. He can't, he can't survive this cold, this rain. We're both very unpleasant about it. And then it also dredges up some allergies. And so I'm just like, I'm fighting the urge to crawl back into bed which I can't do. I have to go to work and I have to go in and be like, Hey guys, how's it going? Woo. Yeah. Tell me about your fucking messy life. <laughs> Cry to me about all your fucking problems that are caused by your alcohol abuse while I'm serving you alcohol. Do that. Woo. Um, I've been feeling really negative lately. <laughs> Like, I don't want to be that way, but, so, like, you know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> I've just been feeling really, like, judgy about people, and I'm just like, uh, but, like, fuck it, right? These people want to pay my bills while I help them ruin their lives. Like, it's not my fault. They're going to fucking do what they're going to do anyways, but because I get to be a cog in the machine of their destruction, I get to have a high-quality living. I can save up for my next endometriosis surgery. Uh, America's fun. Um, what was I talking about? I'm not stoned, by the way. I think I just, like, I, I tried to. I was like, okay, Sydney, pretend to feel happy, even though this weather has you feeling a little bummed out. And then um, I overdid it. Let me reel it back in. It's like season one of Westworld when they had like the iPads and they were adjusting people's like personality components. Anyways, no one cares. Um, I'm here to talk to you about Lonnie Anderson and her book, My Life in High Heels. And why am I doing that? Well, I do a book club on Instagram. The account is called Trashy Book Club 69420. Um, and we read what would be considered trashy books, celebrity biographies, that sort of thing. And I wanted to read Lonnie Anderson's book for a long time, mostly because I've always been a big fan of Burt Reynolds. And by that, I mean, I want to fuck him. And... <laughs> I want to smoke his bandit, um, but apparently he's a real asshole in real life, and he was uh, verbally and physically abusive to Lonnie Anderson, and I was like, okay, let me get to the bottom of this. Uh, hold on, guys. I'm going to have to take a break because my dog has to shit.
Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. The dog did not even poop because it's raining outside and he didn't want to. So, <clears throat> who knows? I may have to stop recording again to clean his potty pad if he poops while I'm recording. I just, I, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm, I'm a professional recording person. Um, so anyways, I was super interested in reading this book, and then I found it at a thrift store in Sun City, which is a city west of Phoenix. It's a 55, the whole city is 55 and over planned communities. It kind of has like um, a poor man's Palm Springs vibe. It's all mid-century architecture, whatever, um, but I would have to go out there to pick up Frank's heart meds from the compounding pharmacy and then I would go thrifting because the thrift stores out there are great because people move out there from all over the country and they die and you get their shit um and so I found Lonnie Anderson's book there at a thrift store for a dollar and I said yes um and I I'm gonna start talking about my book club books on the podcast because fuck it like sex drugs and spirituality is such an open component and this week when I should have been reading about sound baths, which was the next episode I wanted to do, I was reading Lonnie Anderson's book instead. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't always fucking feel like reading about sound baths or um, cults or like um, pegging, horse play, piss play, pig play, dungeon parties. Uh, I don't always feel like reading about that shit. I'm not always in the mood. And um, I'm trying to spend less time on my phone. I am admitting to myself that I have a phone addiction. Like, the the I'm addicted to scrolling Twitter. Okay, guys? Okay? And uh, it's not even like I'm keeping up with friends or anything on Twitter. It's mostly I'm following Disney, Disney journalists and, and bloggers and whatever. And, like... Ugh, like, why do I need to spend two hours a day reading other people's short opinions of things? I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so when I research stuff on my phone, what inevitably ends up happening, also I should say equal to my Twitter addiction, like, that this is embarrassing. This is very embarrassing. I actually spend not that much time on social media. I spend an intense amount of time playing Scrabble. <laughs> Like, I probably have three dozen Scrabble games going right now, and when one app, like, maxes out how many games you can have going, I download another app. Like, <laughs> so I guess, like, as far as addictions go, um, being addicted to Scrabble on my phone is not a bad one, but, um... So when I'm researching stuff on my phone, and lately I just haven't really felt inspired for any of the topics I've been loosely researching, like I'll, I'll pull up one article and then lo and behold, I'm just playing Scrabble or scrolling Twitter. So like, I just think it behooves me um, and my mental health to spend less time on my phone. So my phone, which is always on do not disturb anyways, now it's also not in the same room with me. It's, uh, I, it's in, it's usually in my purse and I don't take it out or whatever. I'm just like trying to stay away from my phone. Um, because, uh, I just, I feel like nothing good can come of it. And whenever I feel like just yucky, like on we, 
an overwhelming sense of ennui. It's I've spent too much time on my phone. And is the phone making me depressed or is the depression making me use the phone? Who knows? But like, I don't fucking, I don't, whatever. Fuck, fuck that. So I'm reading more books and I will end up talking about um, those books from Trashy Book Club. Can I even talk anymore? No, because they don't record anymore. So why would I be able to talk into a microphone? Um, so those books from Trashy Book Club, 69420 on Instagram, those will be um, discussed on the podcast because I'm spending time reading those. And also, guess what? When you're reading a celebrity biography, you do uh, – Heavily explore the topics of sex, drugs, and spirituality. So here we are discussing Miss Lonnie Anderson, who was born, I believe, in, was it 1939, 49? I think 39. No, 49, because she's my mom's age. She was born in 1949, um, Midwestern girl. The early chapters are very interesting because she was raised super Lutheran and she's very specific to say that it's Lutheran and not just Christian. And I don't know if it's like this across the country, but like in the Midwest, it is or it was at the time of me living there. There was a thing like between Lutherans and Methodists like there. Those are dividing lines. They have some differences in their beliefs or doctrines. I don't fucking know because my family did the whole gamut. We did Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, and we finally settled on what fit for my family, which is a family of extremists, which was Southern Baptist. That's where we ended up religiously. I'm going to take a sip of my latte now. That was... Sometimes I just think about the amount of church I went to as a child and I get exhausted. Um, so she was raised super Lutheran, was always a bombshell. Guys looked at her. She had large breasts, um, but she was somewhat exotic. Like her whole family was blonde, um, but she had this olivey skin and dark hair. And she recounts some stories in the book about people being, um, racially aggressive or prejudiced towards her because they assumed that she was half black or Hispanic because of her dark coloring. And it was so funny reading those chapters because like we know Lonnie Anderson as a blonde. She's famous for being a blonde and it never even like occurred to me that she wasn't at one point but it turns out like and then you look at these pictures of her when she's young and she's got like a Ronnie Spector vibe to her like I can understand maybe how people didn't think that she was Caucasian but also it's really sad that it mattered at all let alone that like people because she did like early pageant things and they'd be like oh well you can't be Miss Wisconsin you're Hispanic I was like wait what what the fuck are you talking about why can't she um, anyways, hold on, another sip of my coffee. So the Lutheranism kind of comes into play, I think, when we talk about her uh, first experience with sex. And let me back this up. Like, her family was super Christian, but, like, mom and dad were partiers. Like, they'd go out dancing Friday, Saturday nights, but then everyone taught Sunday school on Sunday mornings. So it was like a life about balance. Her mom's motto was never miss a party. 
And I think that is so sweet and lovely. And I wish I was that type of person. I really wish I was. I really wish I was a more social person who would engage in social activity um, willingly. And the idea of having the mindset of like, never miss a party. If you're invited to go dance, go dance. Like, how lovely is that? Um, That's wonderful. Uh, Meanwhile, some days I don't even feel like showering. I do. But some days I'm like, oh, what's the point? Um, so, <laughs> uh, so she, um, she has all these boyfriends, right? She's like very flirtatious and she's like seeing a couple guys, some touring musicians, like that sort of thing. She goes on all these dates, but like she's never gone all the way because Lutheranism. And so she finally meets this guy. She like loses a pageant and, but at the like ceremony, the first, like she comes in second, the first place winner's brother is there. And it turns out this brother is a smoke show and they fall madly in love as in love is what they're like 17 or 18 at the time, um, as children can be. And they, because they're not, they couldn't possibly just fuck. They couldn't possibly just be horny teenagers and slap on a condom and fuck. No, they have to get married. And of course their family's like, what? And they're like, oh, we're doing it. We're so in love. We know everything. We're 18. So they get married. And they attempt to consummate the marriage. But, like, it doesn't work. And basically, like, what Lonnie describes is that, like, she didn't feel safe or loved or tendered. Tendered. Chicken tendered. Um, She, like, basically he just came at her with a boner and tried to jam it in and... You know, she's never done below the belt stuff. She hasn't been fingered. She hasn't, you know, she hasn't been fucked. This is a virgin pussy. It's, she's not aroused. She's scared. And it doesn't fully go in. But he does ejaculate. And it was very traumatic for her. She says it in very sweet. This is a good book just because she has a very sweet disposition. It reminded me of reading um, Dolly Parton's book where you're like, this person just has like a really positive this is a sweet person. This is a, that's, I, that's the only word I can come up with. But like this person's like a positive person and they're kind and they're warm. They're a sweet person. So I liked reading her book. And so she says this like in this way where she's like, and I didn't know and it just wasn't and it was scary and it's not graphic, but she's very proper about the way she describes it. But after that, she's like traumatized. She doesn't even want to try to have sex again because like it scared her so much what happened. And he keeps trying and coming home drunk and forcing himself upon her and she like hides from him. It's a whole thing. And like they finally realize that she's like, I need to get a divorce. And no one wants to go home with their tail between their legs and say, oh, it turns out I was a dumb teenager and I didn't know what I was talking about. Right. But she does it, um, but it also turns out at that time that she's pregnant because that time that they hooked up, he did ejaculate. She did get pregnant. Um, He had not even penetrated her enough to break her hymen, so when she went to the doctor on suspicion of pregnancy, like, to get an exam, the doctor had to break her hymen. Um, And so... She's like, well, shoot, like, can you like, that's just the worst position to be in is like uh, a divorced teenager. 
um, who's been sexually traumatized and now is like scared of men. Um, although that probably comes in handy as a single mom because if you don't have your head in like if you aren't thinking about dating i because god knows you don't really have time for it so it, it probably is easier for you if you just don't think about it um but she like moves back home with her parents and she goes she's going to school she's going to college she's acting in community theater um and what i think is and i always attribute it to being a midwestern attitude and because that's where i'm from and that's how most of the people i know from home are but the sort of attitude where you just work you keep your head down and you work and so her attitude was kind of not set on becoming a hollywood star it was just being a working actress like she did dinner theater she worked on a showboat where people would like go on dinner time cruises and there'd be entertainment like she just was like working because she has a kid and she's trying to provide a paycheck and um i th i think like her and her parents like she was their family was very close and loving family god is that weird to read about huh you're like wait you guys like love each other and spend time together huh um didn't know that actually happened apparently it does but um and during this time, like, her minister, like, one of her Lutheran ministers talks to her about dating. And she's like, well, I just don't have – I'm just not interested. And, like, he kind of pulls it out of her that, like, she had sex and it was traumatic and now she's scared of men. She's totally turned off the idea. And what her minister, what her Lutheran minister suggests – this was, like, the jaw drop, at least of the first half of the book – was her minister suggests that she have an affair and basically is like what you experienced was traumatic. It was aggressive. That's not what marital sex is supposed to be like. That's not what love is supposed to be like. Like none of that. Like what you experienced is not the loving, safe sexual experience that you are meant to be having. And I've even heard some like Christians be like that God wants you to have. Because um, I like, listen, if, if God wants you to procreate, then yeah, he did design sex to feel good, which is, you know, I don't believe in God, but it is how we've evolved is like sex is pleasurable because if it's pleasurable we'll do it and if we'll do it then it propagates the species so but I couldn't believe that a minister told her to have an affair because like again like that is not how I was brought up in the church like whatsoever the idea that a clergyman could say could recommend premarital or extramarital sex but from a psychological standpoint I think that it's great advice because think about it. Like, okay, this is what my church would have said. My church would have said, well, it's a shame you weren't able to honor your husband and make things work. But, you know, maybe if you get married again one day, you can learn to accept your husband's seed. Like that's the sort of psychosis church that I think is more common. Um, but, like, from a psychological standpoint, the idea of saying, okay, listen, you are a heterosexual woman. You do desire male companionship. You desire physical male affection. However, you're terrified of it now because you've had a bad experience. So let's not get back into a relationship, right? Like, the church I grew up with would have been like, get married, then have sex. But this preacher is saying, don't – listen, don't even worry about a relationship. He used the word affair, not meaning, like – 
an extramarital affair, but like a have a go have a love affair. Like go where it's not a serious relationship, marriage, children, none of that are on the table. Just go and have a good time with someone who treats you well and pleasures you sexually. Go have a go have a love affair. And she does. And um it's like the director of her theater and he's separated from his wife and she like she knows his wife and so before they even begin the affair she asks the wife are you really separated like he wants to take me on a date but I'm not going to go on a date with him if you're not really can you imagine being so forthright can you fucking imagine this woman has cojones um and so like and the woman's like yeah no we're separated have at it and so like they begin an affair and like she says like sex with him was the exact opposite it was tender it was safe it felt good she listen this woman likes to get it because she does give you details of her lovers like never it's not vulgar but like it's very poetic where it's like well this one if so and so sent shocks down my spine this one was like a roller coaster and you're like fuck Lonnie get it um but anyways and so that this did help her heal uh, emotionally and sexually from the her trauma of her introduction to sex but ultimately she realizes like she's falling in love with him which like was not supposed to happen right she was supposed to just have an affair um knock the dust off the cooter and um and she's falling in love with him because like listen ladies that's what happens when the dick is good your body does release those like bonding chemicals so like if someone fucks you too good you're gonna think you love them even if they sleep on a futon on the floor with no top sheet even then um so um so his wife get this his wife decides like she's still in love with him and Lonnie's like well shoot I'm in love with him and the they're like oh what are we gonna do this is so awkward we both love this guy because he fucks um but his wife gets cancer and he ends up moving back home like Lonnie pushes him away and is like he needs to be with his wife like she loves him she has cancer they think it might be terminal like he needs to go home and be with his wife so Lonnie breaks up with him just in order to force him to like so he has no option he doesn't have to make that choice and he goes home to be with his wife she survives the cancer they live happily ever after they're still friends and this is like a running theme in the book is like she's friends with all these boyfriends because like when she was even before she ever fucked she had like six boyfriends at the same time and like there's a chapter where her family goes on a summer vacation to florida her senior year of high school and they're gonna be there for two weeks and um the different boyfriends from all over the country take turns coming down to see each other and like two of them run into each other. It's a whole thing. But the best part of that chapter was uh, the hotel they were staying at advertised a topless ice skating show. And I looked it up and it did used to be a thing. Um, but her family never went to go see it because hashtag Lutheran. But people around the resort would come up to her during the daytime and be like, oh, you looked so beautiful last night or whatever. And she kept being like, I wonder what, what, 
what was I wearing last night that I looked so beautiful? And then finally they realize she looks just like the topless ice skater. People think she's the topless ice skater. And this is when her dad has decided he has had enough. He is overheated because his daughter is too hot. She's got dudes from all over the country flying in to, to just to hold her hand. And now people think she's a topless ice skater and they have to switch hotels because he can't take it anymore. Um, so that's like the beginning part, the background. I don't know. That, that minister, good on him. So she ends up um, marrying this... Uh, theater guy. They're both working actors. They tour around acting. They moved to LA. They got to try their hand at it. Um, early on, this guy has some alcohol abuse problems. And as she starts to get more and more work, he becomes bitter and resentful um, and cruel because I just feel like men cannot stand having a woman outshine them. And this is why Dolly Parton's husband, Carl Dean, is one of a kind. Um, because in all these books, these guys, well, we talked about Pam and Tommy last week or a week before. Um, they cannot fucking stand it if the woman is more in the spotlight than them. And like, I just feel like a strong man needs to accept this, right? Right? I'm talking to every man listening to this. Your wife is better looking than you. She just is. She just is. When you guys walk into a room, the eyes are on the wife. They drift you second to make sure your fucking belt matches your shoes. But overall, I would say the majority of the time, your wife is better looking. She's probably funnier and more interesting. It just is what it is. And yes, I am sexist. Um, and so the fact that like her husband, who... <laughs> Can't you just be like thankful that you're both actors and like one of you has the opportunity to become rich? Like that is... Because they were already working steadily in small town gigs, you know, but like to, to get TV money, it's like both of you aren't going to do it. So at least one of you did. If it, if it wasn't you, aren't you glad it was your wife? Like that really is setting up your future and stability. Um, but again, I value stability more than the spotlight. So like, I, but like, I just feel like men, it makes them feel very small. It makes them feel so insecure and they lash out like babies. And that's what this husband does. And he starts drinking more. And I think at one point he's like telling her that he's going to auditions, but he's just going to the bar to drink. And he's like drinking on her fucking money. And then like he convinces her to buy a house back home in Wisconsin. So like when he they're there, they have a house there. And then he starts getting theater gigs out there. And eventually they separate. And it turns out he was fucking like a student who was like staying at the house in Wisconsin. It was a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And it's like, okay, should you feel bad about yourself because your wife's a more famous actress than you are like no you should feel bad about yourself that you're squandering her money and using her money to support your mistress dude if you want to be with someone else just get a fucking divorce and you can use that your own money to take that bitch on a date like you know what i mean but he wasn't the worst but he wasn't the worst. So she, cause she's on WKRC Cincinnati and like KRP, WKRP, sorry. <sighs> String me up. All the 70 year olds listening to this podcast are so upset right now. I'm just kidding. There's no 70 year olds listening. If there are awesome, welcome. You're my people. We can talk, we can talk about television of the seventies all day. So, um, 
she divorces him. She dates her co-star for a while. This is a woman, aside from her first marriage and pregnancy and, like, having an affair, like, she didn't touch a man for, like, five years. But ever since then, she's, like, off to the races. She does not spend any time between relationships. So she dates her co-star for a little while, but it's, like, a similar thing, like... He is a very famous, good-looking actor that women want to bang, but yet he's still insecure because she's getting, like, more interviews. She's getting more press attention. And at one point, he finds out she gets paid more than him, and he just, like, loses it. And it's so funny because when you are an underclass, like, you're used to not getting what you deserve. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, when you are, let's say... um, a female or a minority, you're probably used to getting shafted. So, like, if you found out your coworker gets paid more than you, you'd be like, dude, that fucking sucks. But, yeah, like, that seems right. I'm not shocked. But, like, when, like, a white man notice- finds out the same thing, he loses it. And so, like, her co-star, Gary Shandy, is, like, being very drunk and mean and cruel and whatever because he can't stand her star rising and she eventually is like okay well I'm just gonna get through the holidays and then I'm gonna break up with him and then oh and this whole time like the the past year Burt Reynolds has been calling they have this on again off again flirtation it's a thing um and then finally he's like I know things aren't well with Gary. Come down to Florida with me. Spend New Year's Eve with me. So she, like, just goes. Like, leaves her family, leaves her kids, dumps her co-star, and goes to Florida to spend two days with Burt Reynolds at his mansion there. And be fair, he's nice. He does put her up in a guest room and, like, treats it like a date. Like, the first day walks her to her bedroom door at night, whatever. But, like, obviously the next night they're in the same bed. They're fucking. Because if you fly cross-country, it's pretty much understood you're going to fuck. And, um, then they do fuck. Uh, I don't remember. There's someone else she fucked along the way that I was like, wowza. And now I can't remember. There are a lot of names dropped. There's actually like, what's it called? A glossary in the back. An index where you look up celebrity names and then it tells you the pages they're talked about in the book. There's so many names. You need a fucking, you need a broom to clean them up. Because she's dropping them. Uh, and so... Um, long story short, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the, her relationship with Burt Reynolds, because that's all we know about. And what do you know? Burt is an insecure person. Who would have thought someone who's been a hot Hollywood star who wears a hairpiece, um, because they're bald, although like that was common back then, but still like, who would have thought that he has insecurities but he does and he like doesn't like her spending time with her mom or her daughter this is dangerous right this is dangerous territory when you become resentful of the children when you're like i don't don't spend time with your children spend time with me i'm sorry like you can't be jealous of someone's children you need to understand that those will always come first fuck it's nice it takes the pressure off please go spend some time with your fucking kids leave me alone um so, so it's very alarming, this pattern of behavior, because it's like, it's like a love, he's a love bomber. 
this is welcome to love bombing season because that really between playboy and tommy lee and this he sends her flowers every day he calls three four times a day he'll be in the middle of meetings and call her just to ask her how her day's going like it that's none of that seems healthy right you know and so she's kind of wooed because he's like here's jewelry and flowers and sending shit to sets and oh my god like this big movie star is in love with me. Um, I guess it's a way I, I can see how she got um, Twitter painted and then didn't think it was weird that he said, well, yeah, your kid can come to Christmas in Florida, but they can't come to family dinner with my parents. My parents don't like new people. So leave them at the hotel and we'll go to Christmas with my parents. Cause like that happened. And then she got there and his whole family and extended families there. And she said something about like, Oh, I can't wait to tell my daughter about this. And they're like, where's your daughter? And she's like, well, back at the hotel. I mean, I don't know. That's pretty fucked up. I feel like no matter how good the dick was, if somebody told me to do something like that, I'd be like, uh, that's, that seems not right. There's all these like little warning signs where he's like, I don't want you to work when I'm working because I want you to be with me and this or that. You know what I mean? Like just very, very – and there's one year after they've been to, together a while where she gets nominated – Oh, wait. No, it was her co-star. I think it's when she got nominated for an Emmy. And I can't remember if it was her co-star, Gary Sandy, or if it was Bruce. And she was like, hey, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I was nominated for an Emmy. And they were like, why would you come in here like that? You know I wasn't nominated. You should have come in and apologized to me first and said how I was wronged and then maybe brought up that your nomination. Like the idea that like she wasn't – and it, I guess I'm getting confused because the her relationships have like this pattern of these guys drink and they're controlling and they're insecure because like they're dating a famous blonde bombshell and I guess there's room for insecurity there. But like they, she's never allowed to be happy about her success. And for her, like she just always wanted to work. You know, just be like a consistent, just I want to work and be able to support my daughter. So like the, and she thought it was going to be in theater her whole life. So the, the Hollywood success kind of came as a surprise, but it's like, you can't let her be happy about this. You can't be happy that she's happy. <laughs> if your significant other is not excited for you when good things happen to you, you need to break up. I'm sorry, but, like, that is, like, the biggest fucking warning sign ever is, like, the idea that rather than be happy or excited for your partner, you're resentful towards their success. That's not good. That's not healthy. It also isn't a relationship in which you are going to be allowed to grow as a person. Um, and I find relationships to be rather claustrophobic even healthy ones. So the idea of someone putting restriction on my personal growth, uh, that's a problem. That's a problem because like, <sighs> dude, if you're happy where you're at in life, like I am so happy for you and a little bit jealous, but like I'm not happy where I'm at in life and I'll never be happy because like for me, it's not about where I am. It's about like, I'm constantly about where I'm going. So like, I like to achieve things, but then I don't rest on my laurels after that. Like, and I also get bored easily. So the idea of my life being the same for the rest of it is like, oh, 
no, we need fucking different chapters in this book. You know what I mean? We got the Wisconsin Virgin chapter. We got the off at college having an affair chapter. We got the blonde to or brunette to blonde chapter. Now I'm just, I'm just still talking about Lonnie Anderson, but do you know what I mean? Life is meant to have chapters. The story needs to progress. Otherwise, it's boring. No one's going to go see that movie. No one's going to rent that movie. No one's going to fucking pay to own that movie because it's fucking boring. And, um, yeah, I just, there's, there's, there's so many things in life to do and be and become. And the idea that like a partner would be resentful towards your personal growth is like crazy to me. Even if I see a partner like growing away from me, like if they're growing and developing in a way that might take them away from me, that makes me sad, but I'm still happy for them. (sighs) Because I'm not possessive, because I don't have possessive problems, because I'm not Burt Reynolds, because I have my own hair. Um, So anyways, he is a big pill drug addict person. He says he takes it for his back pain from injuries on movies and this. Like, it's always something, right? It's always something. Um, And he's on... Uh, all the all the heavy hitters, all the and and Lonnie basically becomes his personal nursemaid, and there's so many scenes in it where he's threatening to kill himself because like she's leaving to go take care of her mom who's dying of cancer, and he's like, I'm dying too, and it's like, no, you're killing yourself. My mom is being killed by cancer that she's trying to fight off. You're dying of an addiction that you're not trying to fight off. Um, and I wonder during these scenes, cause like, so she says this one time she goes to meet him early on, on a romantic getaway and he messed up the flu in the fireplace and he like, there was smoke everywhere and he singed the front of his wig. Um, cause it was like plastic hair, you know, but then like all these scenes of him laying in bed for days and refusing to move and stuff. And like, I, I could, I couldn't, I couldn't help but wonder, <laughs> So I took a full Carrie Bradshaw. I couldn't help but wonder, was Burt Reynolds wearing his toupee in the depths of his ad- addiction? Like, I, I'm I'm curious because he's like this super vain guy, but then he's also just killing himself and withering away in bed due to a drug addiction. Like, was the toupee on? Um, and like she gets him sober and then he goes back on drugs and then he like overdoses or no he tries to quit cold turkey um while she's away for three days and when she comes back he's like almost in a coma and they go to the hospital he goes into a coma and like he was trying to quit so like quit drugs to be better for her but whatever also this whole time he had a fucking mistress like and that's the thing is like he had a fucking mistress. And so the, when he's like, well, Lonnie, if you just spent more time with me or if you put my career ahead of yours, then we'd be happy. And it's like, or is it is it my career or is it your mistress? Like, which is which is more of a negative presence in this relationship? Which one, Bruce? But also she could have left because she had her own money. So, like, that's that's the thing I think about, like, my mom a lot growing up and her relationship to my stepdad, who was a miserable bipolar alcoholic. And, like, my mom didn't stay because she had no other option. Like, she was an RN. She made good money. It was fully f- due to emotional dependence. And, like, that's weird and like I have to acknowledge you know my mom's in therapy she's had a very abusive childhood and it turns out she has PTSD from it and so like 
you I can't blame her for for not, you know, packing up her bags and hitting the road. Like she was a very broken person and for her being in this codependent relationship where everything depends on another person's emotions, it afforded her the opportunity to not think about things. And people love to not think about things. Um that's why I work out. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but yeah, so like the, this Lonnie Anderson situation, it's like, it's a pure emotional dependence. So like she does come off as being very sweet and level-headed and this or that, but like also like, why didn't you leave? This sounds terrible. There's scenes where he's like pulled a gun out and said, here, why don't you just kill yourself? Like he shoved her around. He's left bruises. They've had to cover it with makeup on TV, like shoots. Like it's just, and I know, I know, like I do so much talking about on this show about the psychology of addiction. And I know we all can end up in situations we wouldn't see ourselves tolerating, but other times I just want to be like, you're rich. Like, it's not like you don't, you don't have the resources to move out of this guy's house or you're financially dependent on him to feed your kid. Like you have some money and a career. You don't need to have some fucking toupee guy beating you up. It's not nice. No, I don't like it. Hold on. More coffee. So I think like a lot of the book is about the dynamic of being in a relationship with an addict. And like, there's so many parts where he's behaving a certain way, but she doesn't know that it's because of drugs. Um, and then when she finds out it's drugs, then he, when he behaves that way, she just assumes he's back on drugs. Not that he is a wholly unwell person who will be abusive, sober or not. Like, and that's the biggest misnomer, I think, of people who don't have experience with addiction when they get in a relationship with an addict. They think, well, if I can just get them off the sauce, then everything will be fine. And they don't realize, like, the reason this person drinks all the time is because they have mental health issues. They have demons. So getting them sober is not like it's not just like the matter of okay don't drink and now we're happily ever after like once you quit drinking then you have to deal with all the underlying stuff and a lot of times people are more miserable to be around when they're sober than when they're an addict like it just is what it is um and what it is is very sad uh I grew up in a house of uh, you know with the dry drunk and stuff. I was ugh, ugh, so yucky, so yucky. And now I work around alcohol for a living and um, it is so yucky. Um, yeah, my boyfriend drinks and like, <laughs> I, after last week I was like, I don't think, I, I don't think I should let you bring alcohol into my apartment. Like I'm like, I'm just so over alcohol and drunks. Like I just don't, even want you like drinking when you're over like because he you know has his white claw or whatever when we watch tv um but like that that, that doesn't work because he's just gonna have a drink when he gets off work and he'll still be intoxicated when he gets here so um i think <laughs> i'm gonna tell him i can't hang out on sundays i be like uh after work you have to go to your house because that's like his drinking day to unwind day and it just to me feels like being at work I'm like oh huh it's weird now I'm just around an intoxicated person and I'm not getting paid um 
I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And it's, I'm not like acting like he has like a drinking problem or anything. Like normal people drink and normal people have normal relationships to alcohol. Um, I don't. So, and I don't have um, whatever. Just, it's, it's the same reason like when my friends would like give me shit for not going to bars with them. And I'd be like, do you want to do medical transcription when you're not at work? Like, I just like for me interacting with intoxicated people, I need to get paid for it. Um, also interacting with children, you know, as someone who formerly wanted to be a teacher, like, because drunk people and children are the same. They are the same. Don't try to tell me there's no difference. Alcoholics, children, same, emotionally stunted, erratic, whatever. And so like, I don't want to deal with that unless I'm being financially compensated. Um, any, I'm an uptight bitch. Um, but listen, I'm no Lonnie Anderson. Okay. So like, I'm not just going to tiptoe around you and be your fucking bed nurse. Cause you want to take a bunch of pills cause your fucking back hurts. Hey motherfucker. How about you smoke a joint and go to physical therapy? You son of a bitch. Cause at one point he's like spun out for three years on heavy duty narcotics because of a jaw injury, um, and the pain it's causing. And then when he gets sober, he has surgery to fix it. And then the pain goes away and it takes like three surgeries, like whatever this jaw injury was, it wasn't good. Right. But I'm like, this is, this is the problem with addiction to avoid problems. This is exactly it. He has an injury. He uses pills to numb that injury, but never deals with the underlying, like, misshapenness of the bone or the poor healing or whatever, right? So that pain is still there and you have to deal with it eventually. And he dealt with it. It took him three fucking years to get sober and then get the surgery. And yeah, like the sur three jaw surgeries, that sounds fucking terrible. I don't, that sounds miserable. But if it gets rid of this horrific pain that is ruining your life and causing you to be, at one point he's like, She's like, he's down to 130 pounds and he's normally 190. Like he's just strung out in bed. He can't eat because his stomach's all fucked up from doing drugs. Like it's just a whole thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, or you could have just been like, you know what? I'm going to need to get this surgery. Am I going to fucking try to kill myself for three years because I'm in pain and then get the surgery? Or am I going to get the surgery now and we'll just skip over that whole part and save a little, like a lot of liver damage? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Um, it's almost like I needed to record for an hour, which is what I've been doing, to remember that I know how to talk into a microphone. Because I have been I've been shuffling my feet on recording, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I, sometimes I get, like, imposter syndrome. Um, like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. But no one knows what they're doing. It's just a varying level of confidence in being mediocre. Like that's most people in most fields. It's like everyone's mediocre. Some people are mediocre and they think that they suck. And some people are mediocre and they think that they rock. And the people who are mediocre and think they rock do better because they're able to sell that bill of goods to others. Um, so yeah, anyways, read this fucking book. I swear I didn't ruin it. There's so many other delightful stories in Lonnie Anderson's My Life in High Heels. Follow Trashy Book Club 69420 on Instagram. I think the next book that I'm going to do is How to Make Love Like a Porn Star by Jenna Jameson. It's an aughts classic. 
and I haven't read it. My friend just gave me an autographed copy because um, she moved to Sweden and uh, could only take so much. There wasn't room for giant autographed porn books. Um, so anyways, you guys, have a great day, and thanks for listening. Bye.